I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Anthony Pizza. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Thanks, you French. Great. <laughs> There's so many options that you had for your tagline, Peter, for this movie. You had, so. you, you had to go with the one that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that you spent hours like in a studio writing down every line in the movie, covering the walls with it like the fucking guy in Dark City who just keeps drawing circles all over his prison and like was like, all right, I'm just going to spin around. And this time we're going to come up <laughs> with. Or it could have been uh, we love to watch uh, Love Sluts. <laughs> I, I love sluts they're great um we love to watch is no ruth buzzy <laughs> we love to watch uh suck our own dicks <laughs> this podcast is so old it was a rock cast <laughs> <laughs> our first uh, producer was fucking jesus christ <laughs> uh, this podcast uh, is so old they advertised rock mattresses <laughs> just i'm gonna say it right now don't know why we would do a quick recap with this movie because you'd have to describe each scene individually because uh, that's the type of movie is and that movie is wet hot american summer it's our final week of summer camp month this is the comedy subgenre of summer camp movies and it's also one of the best movies ever this movie is fantastic uh, or you're gonna you hate it there's there is no middle ground um as far as i can tell fun fact i didn't know until like a year ago that this movie was a very poorly reviewed uh, initially (laughs) and then b i didn't know that there were people who found this whole thing very annoying because i was apparently in this like hipster bubble for years this beautiful bubble that was just people who thought wet hot was like the next like young frankenstein and i so i want to save it because i was around when this movie first came out and uh, i had a different reaction at the time but we'll talk about that more uh if you've never heard us before where we love to watch we are a movie podcast and we pick four movies each month that share a similar theme and talk about them sometimes if we remember because it's a very it's, we record this very late at night we're very tired we compare and contrast sometimes we forget that that's part of our thing but either way we always remember to welcome our audience to the show so thanks for coming thanks for taking time out of your commute to pull over to the side of the road put your headphones on Take a little snooze and listen to our podcast. As I, I imagine that's how I listen to most of my podcasts. I assume it's universal. It's actually illegal for you to listen to podcasts while driving. Few people don't know that. Do you think I confuse my brain and that the for for real, the only two times I listen to podcasts are when I'm driving somewhere or when I'm trying to fall asleep? Probably. <laughs> do you think my brain's like, what do I do? Be super alert right now or shut down completely? <laughs> And I'm listening to a podcast, I get like a jolt of energy and I'm like, oh, my body is getting tricked right now. Whenever it hears, it hears like Austin Walker's voice, which is like, just like a normal nerd's (laughs) voice, a very nice, normal nerd's voice. I uh, get like a jolt. Well, you know why your body does that, right, Peter? Why, Aaron? Because it's a wonderland. Aw, thanks, buddy. And, And by that, he means that it makes no sense and runs on nonsense logic. (laughs) <laughs> by that by that he means many people have been murdered inside my body no like like yeah. alice in one like lewis carroll mm-hmm. yeah you're on that oh, lewis no, carroll it's shit a, it's yeah a i was referencing the wonderland murders 
<laughs> I like I like how we all had a different Wonderland in mind. <laughs> I had the uh, the Looney Tunes cartoon Wacky in Wonderland or Wacky it's Wacky Land. Porky and Wacky Land. That's what it is. Got it off. Anyways, yeah. as you can hear, we're joined by Anthony Pizzle. He's a, like a person that's a pizza pie. <laughs> he's a uh-huh. personal pan pizza. Oh yeah, he's a personal pan pizza. Do we do this last time? Um, if you didn't listen to our last episode, uh, this may be new to you, or maybe we said it. But P to the is O, D to the is A. Anything? Do we say that? Some variation? Mm, no. I like to think that I didn't. How say did it land? Resembling that? Um, but yeah, how did it land? It sounds like uh, poorly. Like you, you remember those first couple of Wright brothers flights? Yeah, <laughs> I mean they lived. Yes. Right? Like they kept flying. So I'm saying that's a pretty good review that you you dusted yourself off, you build a new plane, and you're going to try again. I mean that yeah. that's that's it. You know, you like it, it's you know it's not the end of the world, but you just you you try again. Uh, and Aaron's going to say, "Excuse me, while I kiss the sky." <laughs> Excuse me, while I kiss the spooks. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, little Easter egg from last week's episode. Uh, if you don't know why Peter's laughing so hard. Uh, uh, go listen to the burning episode. So, Anthony, why don't you – you've been on the show before. You joined us for uh, uh, Little Big League and Rookie of the Year. It was a, t- a f- very fun episode. It was one of those, I think, three-and-a-half-hour episodes that we had to really whittle down because we were having such a blast. Um, <laughs> yes, and because we were talking about two movies that were equally terrible and uh, deserved a, oh. lot, a lot of – I'm not going to call it analysis, but uh, a thorough reading of crimes. Anthony, that sounds like revisionist history to me. Uh, I believe we all agreed Rookie of the Year was way better. Yes, but I mean, like, it wasn't great. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> Little Big League was... I, I still think about how fucking creepy that movie was sometimes. Like, It's, it's so a mo- awful, but you know what? New, we're, we're, we, we've crashed. We're, we, we crashed those movies. We're, we're dusting ourselves off. We can leave creepy... Uh, creepy uh, inappropriate child relations behind, except when it turns up in this movie. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, but this one has a way of getting rid of the kids that don't work out. Why don't you? But why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience? Why don't you uh, let people know a little bit about yourself, Anthony? Uh, my name is Anthony Pizzo. Uh, I think we covered that. Yeah, literally. You got to say your name three times and uh, look your audience in the eye. Which uh, th- this is a video podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the camera's in your toilet. You're staring into your toilet right now, right? I was, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Wonder no longer. We put a camera in your toilet. Yeah, the secret twist ending to We Love to Watch is the answer was buttholes the whole time. <laughs> we love to watch I see, for, for, some, secret camera. for some reason, I imagined that the, the camera was pointing the other way, that you were just looking at, like, the drain part. Why would we do that? Like, as everything rushes past? I want yeah, to see where it gets made. <laughs> we just want to see how, how the plumbing's doing. Time to make the donuts. <laughs> um, but Anthony, tell uh-huh. us a little bit about yourself. I uh, I draw a lot. I have a project that I do. Uh, it's a sketch-a-day TV project where I watch uh, an entire series, one episode at a time per day, and I do a little drawing uh, for it. It's a it's a lovely ongoing project, and I greatly encourage Anthony in this endeavor. It's it's really fun to see stuff, even on shows that I haven't seen, like X Files after season four. <laughs> well, thank you, Peter. Uh, I just you wrapped Zena. Stick around till season seven. I, I don't want to see Mulder go. You know. Yeah, but like then, like then he comes back, and and, and, then, you and have... then everyone gets mad at the show again. <laughs> 
I mean, like, I really want to get, I really want to get invested so I can get mad again. I mean, but like, there's actually some like really, there's some really good episodes. But yeah, so getting back to the original point. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back to We Love to Watch the Skies, the X Files podcast. <laughs> Fuck! Now I have to leave all the X Files stuff in in the edit. God damn it, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those those pictures those pictures are 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 super entertaining and like so. Anything else that our audience should should know? Uh, no, they could probably just go back to the little big league uh, rookie of the year episode and uh, get everything they need to know. Yeah, uh, stop it, listening it, to this. We'll pause right now. At, you go listen to the three hours of us talking about uh, children and baseball. We'll, we'll actually edit it in. We'll edit in the whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, um, Anthony, stop dodging questions. Any or Audi? Uh, any. Okay. okay. All right. So I, I do the drawing thing. I'm studying uh, to be a PA, physician's assistant. And third thing is right now I'm working on a, uh, a pilot script for a uh, audio drama podcast that uh, – you probably won't see for a while, but I'm working on it. Well, the podcast will never see it, but you're, it's a pilot. You'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that because the other hobby that you have, the weekly script reading thing that you work on, um, really would suggest that you're a natural fit for that kind of podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so that's gonna be that's gonna be a really fun thing to look out for. We need to know one more thing about Anthony. So we've been asking guests a little. Oh, we sure about do. their experience at camp, uh, and we're like, ah, oh, shit. We didn't prep Anthony, and we're like, hey, Anthony, have you ever been to a camp? And he said, no, not really. But I did go to space camp once, which I don't know if you have a chart of camp hierarchies, but space camp <laughs> is like way on the fucking top. Like it's so it's so yeah. above it's about definitely above Boy Scout camp, definitely above your fiance's Christian camp, definitely above <laughs> Girl Scout camp, definitely above I don't know what's another camp. Uh, uh, horse camp. I'd say it's about even with horse camp if that horse camp really was trying to turn people into horses. Otherwise, the, camp, it's, the I mean, camp of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. I mean, it's a camp that promises results. I don't know. Do they promise results or do they just try? I didn't see the brochure, Peter. <laughs> They're really hot to trot over there. <laughs> a, a plus. Oh. Hey, that was a pretty good pun. You're like a little filly. But so tell us a little bit about this. So yeah, pony up and tell us you the story, with Anthony. The Jesus in the sky, which is space. <laughs> First question, how did you set up your tents in zero gravity? Remember that diagram in uh, 2001 about the toilets? It's kind of like that. Like it's a whole... I'd really need a chart to explain it. You pooped in your tent, is what you're saying. Yes, but that's besides the point. <laughs> that wasn't part. That wasn't part of the camp. That's just sometimes people get homesick and scared. No, like because like in the in the morning you would just you incinerate the the sleeping bag as you do. I mean, I've seen movies where fires break out in space. It's bad news. I really don't like. I didn't have like a great time there. Uh, I, I I didn't Sorry? like. <laughs> it, it I wanted what... to go to ground camp, Mom. <laughs> I want to hang out this summer. You could, you could say that all of us are attendees of Earth Camp. <laughs> you could say all of us are passengers on a little camp called. Uh, really? When could you say it? At any time. At literally any time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, how old were you when you went to space camp? I, I want to say ten, but that's literally my answer for everything because I like I I I don't think there's an age beyond ten. 
like when you're when you're little like everything is just like you're 10 years old no actually <laughs> you're right like so like I, I was i was young like I, I didn't enjoy it i watched goonies there for the first time and i hate goonies goonies is not a good movie we <laughs> haven't covered it for the show for uh and we won't. specific reasons <laughs> it's um, so bad yeah it's not it's, good walk me through you're at space camp there's uh-huh. a movie called space camp and instead I, I of that this. movie they're like How about goonies where they literally go underground. <laughs> it's antithetical to space camp. It would be much more fitting to uh, journey to the center of the Earth camp. Yeah. If that was a camp. What else happened at space camp? Did you, uh, I don't know, uh, meet, a, they, they, meet a nice planet, fall in love, settle down? <laughs> they, they froze something in, like, uh, dry ice and broke it. So so it's um sci- it's just more science camp. Kind of, yeah. Like, and think there was like a space sim, like simulator kind of thing, but like less advanced than like any of like the rides you'd go on at Disney. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this is a merry-go-round. Spin, kid. <laughs> was the space simulator? Let me, let me, let me just guess. Was the space simulator? You were on a lake, and then there was a big. <laughs> balloon-shaped object in the lake and then you climbed on the balloon-shaped object and then someone jumped on the back of it and then you flung into the air as if you were weightless in space? The, the space simulator was was literally just swamp gas. Okay. That was the blob. You were on a blob. <laughs> it, it, was, it was just swamp gas. Nothing to see there. <laughs> they just put you like, this room is going to be just like the planet Jupiter and then they gas you all to death. oh here's how you practice flying a space shuttle go into the simulator now remember the aliens are gonna drop down and start going faster so hide behind your pillars just like a real astronaut it's like have you kids seen uh planet of the vampires it's it's a lot like that (laughs) and we're like we're 10 well of course we haven't seen that so it's just just a camp with like a couple kids that bite what you're saying? It's a problem with kids. <laughs> Trust me. That's a good way to get kicked out of daycare. Like you have a kid that bites. Those daycare people are like, get out. Like hitting, they'll deal with. Biting, no. You're gonna get <laughs> warnings. You're gonna be right the fuck out of there. You're getting bodily fluids involved, and that's no good. Really, daycare. That's their really number one no-no. <laughs> don't bite the other kids. You don't bite the other kids or get it. Larry Talbot Junior. You stop that. I thought you were talking about parents, like. Aaron, you are not allowed to bite the parents of other. Yeah, children. no, I, that either. Like, I'm on my final. They, they really. I mean, they, when you're at home, you can do whatever you like, but don't bite people in the parking lot. I mean, yeah, it's a it's home daycare, so that's <laughs> <laughs> the parking lot driveway. Uh, anyway, so space camp really sounds like a bummer. <laughs> Um. It was. <laughs> I'm really glad that it was. Uh, it was disappointing because if I found out it was cool, I would be jealous and hate you. And now I can continue liking you, Anthony. Yay! Because as a kid, I was like, as a kid, I was, I was like, I want to go to space camp. This camp could change my life. Someday I could be an astronaut because of this I could, camp. I could shoot an arrow in space, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what people say about arrows. Is that um, in space, no one can hear them whiz. <laughs> <laughs> I still have never fired a bow and arrow. Have I told you that? No. Oh, it's so sad. You're fired so a because gun. because the day camp that I went to, I've fired a lot of guns, um, which is like really. <laughs> and you're on a watch list, and much more politically problematic. <laughs> have you ever fired a gun at a bow and arrow? Uh, no, no, I've never had a. I've never been in a like a uh, a little bighorn re- uh, recreation uh, battle. No. Have you have you ever fired a bow and arrow whilst jumping through the air? 
Ooh. Uh, Aaron, can I, can I say I could do that in a video game? Uh, I mean, that's the first thing you're supposed to do when you get a bow and arrow is just fire it in the air. You got to jump. Yeah. Jump and shoot. Yeah, Anthony, I jump and shoot. Awesome. That's really great. Hey, uh, hey, Aaron, can I talk to you for a second? Just over here? Away from everybody? No. Where'd you I guys mean, go? Sure. sure. We're, 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 over, we're over here. It's, it, it's fine. Be cool. Okay. Hey, Aaron, remember how uh, we were supposed to play uh, Camp Tiger Claw today? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they canceled on us. Uh, oh, so, that's uh, fine. That's, that's pretty hacky. That, but, you know, like, I wanted you to tell Peter because oh. you, you know how to break it to him. Hey, Peter. <laughs> I can't wait to face Camp Tiger Claw later today in the I got some bad news. competition. What? They're all dead. So <laughs> you won. We st- wow, I didn't even tell you about that. <laughs> we, st- we still get the trophy and I get the satisfaction of having outlived my enemies. This is even better. What, what I didn't tell you is that uh, we're not playing Camp Tiger Claw, but we are playing the Chicago Cubs. <gasps> uh, and they have their their pitcher is, is a little child. So that'll be fun. What a stunt. What a stunt. <laughs> you know, it's only a couple years after they won the World Series and they think they can pull <laughs> this shit. Well, guess what? This seems kind of trite. I feel like we should back off from this. Yeah, there's no, nothing definitely. in the rule book that says a kid can't have a full time job. Oh wait, no, it is in the rule book called the law. Uh, <laughs> do you guys want to talk about? Uh, yeah, wet hot American summer. Let's do that. Welcome back, uh, We Love to Watch, to our jazz podcast, We Love to Smooth. Well, today we've got some really excellent uh, selections for you. We're going to have a brand new Kenny G, and that's going to be real exciting. Uh, But right now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy this piece by John Cage called 433. I think you're really going to dig it. Now, I, I hate to interrupt the song right here, but uh, I just wanted to point out the uh, the woodwind work. You know, they're they're not they're not playing, but if you strain your ears, you can hear their ambient breath just passing over the reeds, and it creates this slight sound, so you know that they're there. It's not music per se, but it's a fascinating experiment. Anyway, I'm going to let you get back to the song now. Another thing real quick, on this edition of the song, you will hear a man cough at 3 minutes and 19 seconds, and that is legendary composer Leonard Bernstein. Yes, he was in the audience for this performance. He gave it a glowing review after the fact. Uh, It was just a real treat for music fans, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. You are listening to uh, WLTW. Radio. This, this is really going to be a treat for Peter when he gets <laughs> this one. WTLW smooth jazz all day, all the time. <laughs> Welcome back to talking about anything. Yeah. But, uh, we're definitely we're summer. definitely going to have Anthony Arnold Warner Herzog, Arnold Schwarzenegger crossover episode. 
But Peter, I guess I am alternate tagline. You sure are. Are you sure, Peter? Uh, I'm sure. I'm gonna, I wish I could do the alternate tagline like Paul Rudd picks up f- uh, a mess he's made. <laughs> like, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, God, that scene. Uh, I'll do it. <laughs> he just, oh. he, the way he throws himself around, <laughs> like he's just so disgusted and he's, he's like a petulant child and it's amazing. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the alternate the alter tagline is, I know that you thought by the title there'd be nudity in this, and I'm sorry, 13-year-old boys. You're about to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I add, adding to that, see a bunch of hot women kiss poorly. <laughs> yeah. This is the least sexual movie of all time. (laughs) (laughs) This movie actively finds sex comical and has no reason why. And it finds no reason why you should find sex sexy. I like the the McKinley scene, though. Like that. That's like that's strangely like tender and straightforward. Oh, that's true. Like the only the only real like straight sex. Well, not straight. (laughs) The only real like sex scene that's not a comedy thing is is the the Michael Ian Black and uh Bradley Cooper, Cooper. Bradley Cooper Bird, Bradley Cooper uh <laughs> oh man look I would have I thought it was perfect as is but you throw a Bradley Whitford in there and I'm having a good time I would have had sex a third time <laughs> <laughs> um that scene's great and uh, Bradley Cooper still says to this day that who is the best on-screen kisser in like lame interview questions he always says Michael Ian Black <laughs> For years, people thought Michael Ian Black was gay, partially because of this, partially because of Stella shorts and stuff where they like play with dildos and partially just because of his general demeanor. And he's like a dude, like a very straight, boring, like by his own admission, a very straight, boring dude with like a couple of kids that lives in the suburbs of Connecticut. Like this scene is something that he will never be forgotten for. I know we don't skip the 90 second or the quick recap that often, but it almost feels like if there's a movie to skip it, like this would be it. I don't really want to do it. er, I'll do a a 15 second recap. How's that? Yeah, sure. Camp Firewood, 1981. It's the last day of camp. Everyone is trying to get something done by the end of the day. And that something done is either self-realization or fucking. (laughs) And then also Skylab almost falls in the lab and a group of scientists stops it. That's the movie. Or or maybe the wind. Or maybe the wind. It's basically a... And in all those little, like, different stories that are going on, it's, it's a parody of, like, every camp trope. In, in somewhere in there but like i want to talk about that more because like david wayne's version of parody is so different than like mm-hmm. the zucker abrams version of parody and i think that's why or the or the mel brooks version i, I yeah well i, I think t- mel brooks and and zucker abrams are very like similar they're very like that's like parody as we know it or knew it up to that point yes so, and and this is this is uh something that like i said earlier this is something that was referenced in like comparison to young frankenstein Spaceballs, whatever like uh, blazing saddles is probably a better comparison where it's like uh, not just a parody, but like a comedy classic for the ages. And I, and like I said, I didn't find out until like a year or two ago that like people did not like this movie on release. Yeah. So let's, well, I want to get into that because I do think this, not to already start with some hyperbole, but I do think that this movie 
uh, especially is kind of responsible for changing the way we view parody um, and what can be and comedy. Just comedy, comedy, yeah, like skit comedy. The state is largely responsible for shaping what became millennial humor. You know, like what was generally called. Where like it's it's much less about riffing on something so much as like pointing out the inherent absurdity of a thing. And I think that goes into um, one of the main reasons I was excited to watch it when I first said, which was I was a big Amy Poehler fan because I loved the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, television show mm-hmm. that was on Comedy Central for three seasons. And that was like very much of the same because I didn't I never saw the state until later. But that same type of like bizarre humor where it's, where they pick the weirdest way they could go with a sketch and then focus on that um, mm-hmm. and and do that. So. But let's get into that a little. So I did watch this when it came out in 2001. I was a freshman in college. I saw it. I saw people that I recognized that I really liked. I liked Michael Ian Black from um, – it wasn't I Love the 80s and it wasn't The State, but I feel like I had seen him in some stuff. Uh, Amy Poehler was like one of the biggest people who I don't think was that known to most people at the time. But I liked Janine Garofalo and I liked David Hyde Pierce. So Amy Poehler was huge – among comedy people and yeah. no one else. She didn't really emerge until Parks and Rec. She was one of the four people that- Or Saturday Night Live. She was really, but this was, bef- but this was before Saturday Night Live and this was um, yep. when she was one of the pioneers of the UCB theater in yep. uh, New York and LA. It started out just two theaters. Um, and yeah, it was just those four people, Matt Besser and- Yeah, um, Ian Roberts, Amy Poehler- and uh, uh, Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh. There we go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they they all those. Uh, so she was a comedy staple among comedy people, but she was not a public face yet. Yeah, just like uh, Bradley Cooper was not also a public face. Yeah, I, I didn't know Bradley Cooper at all. Like he, I just thought he was someone, and or no Elizabeth did. Banks. Um, no one knew. Her. So, but but I was like, oh, and this is what Hot American Summer. It sounds like it's going to be funny. I saw, you know, some some taglines of like uh, a great parody of summer camp movies. So I, I even though I was a big comedy nerd and I liked some like alt comedy stuff at the time, I I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting a Zucker or a Mel Brooks type parody, and I watched it and I was like, I I, I shouldn't say that I I wouldn't say I hated it. Um, because there was like, there's some very obviously funny parts that are funny to, I think anyone they're just, that are just straight, great jokes or like more in line with the parody from like the going into town sequence. And, you know, there's, there's <laughs> the, the Skylab stuff. Um, there's a lot of like clear stuff, but there's also a lot of like almost, uh, anti-comedy or like parody that instead of blows everything up, strips everything down to its dumbest and just does that. And I didn't get it, really. Um, and I remember walking away very confused because, like, I, I liked some of it, but I also recognized how many funny people were in the movie. And I was kind of like, I, it seemed weird to me that all these funny – because I got what they were doing. Like, I kind of understood what they were doing, but it seemed like – it's so weird to me that some of these people are, like, actively trying to not – be funny in this movie like they're doing things that like i kind of get what they're doing but they're such funny people why didn't they just make jokes like why didn't they make it funny when they seem it seemed to almost be like a, a purposeful um 
fuck you to someone that was like looking for a Brooks or Zucker Abrams style parody. So I really didn't get it. And I kind of forgot about it. And then it was like six or seven years later when I ended up getting the state DVDs and kind of falling in love with it. And then I watched the 10 uh, and then I, which I loved, and then I watched. I really Stella. do not like the ten, but it's the only really? thing in this list. Yeah, this, the ten huh. is pretty miserable. But Stella I like the ten. Fucking Stella is fucking amazing. Stella yeah, and is, then is and I ignored else. Stella when it aired because it aired like, and I was like, oh, this looks really dumb. And I, I just saw the promos. I never saw an episode, but I probably, I don't know if I would have liked it. But then I watched Stella and just fucking like. I think I watched all 10 episodes in one night and then, like, tried to find the shorts and found their live thing. And then – and I think part of this is just in between – you know, it was like – so you're talking about, like, 2001 to 2009. And in between that, I had, you know – as a comedy nerd, I got more and more exposed to, you know, there was there was all the, the alt comedy that was, like, proliferating on Adult Swim where it was, like, you know, again, very anti-humor from – you know, Harvey Birdman and C-Lab and Frisky Dingo and, you know, and so I th- – and, and comedies themselves, I think, because of the influence of Wet Hot American Summer, even though I didn't realize at the time, like, we're taking more and more components of that. So, by the time I watched all that and loved it and then circled back to Wet Hot American Summer, it was like, oh, I, I get everything that's going on. I love this. And I've seen it so many times since since that moment, like in 2009, to the point that I, Peter and I were talking before we recorded. Like, this is one of the few movies that we've done for the show that I don't need to rewatch. Like, I I could I, I did rewatch it because I love it. But I could tell you every single scene because I've seen it, you know, 50 times in the last nine, 10 years. So, it, but it was definitely I can understand why. This is a true, like, ahead-of-its-time movie because, um, you know, just people weren't doing this. And it was really hard to even understand what this was when it first came out in 2001. So, I I get it. Like, I get why people were like, what the fuck is this? Why are these funny people not being funny? Uh, but that was definitely my experience with it until, again, I caught up and the culture caught up with what they were doing. Anthony, what's your, what's your exposure to this movie? I saw a lot of those things that uh... – Aaron was talking about earlier. Uh, so I, I had seen Stella. I had seen uh, bits and pieces of the state. <laughs> I saw uh, Wet Hot American Summer for the first time at uh, my college had sort of midnight screenings of uh, certain cult films. And so I saw that like in a packed theater with people who were primed for it. And, you know, I, I had sort of the background information. I just fell in love immediately. What year was that about? 2009 or 2010. Okay. Because it, it was definitely freshman year of college. Gotcha. So when you when it hit you, you were pretty into it, right? Oh yeah, like because I I I had watched Stella, I had watched The State, I had tracked them down. So so I I knew what I was getting into. I kind of got it with a little bit of context as well. I saw it in junior high, um, and it was with the endorsement of my older brother and his friends and they were all watching it and my brother's like you should watch this movie you'll think this is really funny we watched it 10 times now and they were all in college at the time and i could not stop laughing like it was such a transformative singular experience for me like i'm very lucky to have seen it when i did because i didn't have any context for the state i didn't see the state for like years and years after 
I didn't have any context for really who these people were. It was just like a funny movie that happened to click with my sensibilities as a 12-year-old to 13-year-old or whatever I was. And it changed who I was as a person. My sense of comedy changed. Like my sense of um, what you're allowed to say and what you're like, like, what a joke is kind of changed in a way that like maybe was detrimental to me as a as a freshman in high school <laughs> a few years later, right? Like in a way that like kids didn't entirely get. And then um, I, I saw Stella also a year or two later and that was amazing because it was like, oh, a sequel show, like more of <laughs> what I already love. Like this is, this is so great. And Stella I'm still obsessed with. I think it's one of the best like one season shows ever. Um, did you like Michael and Michael have issues? I like it. It's not as good though. Um, I, I love it quite a bit, but I agree. And then throughout high school, more and more, my friends got into it because of me. Cause I, I, I sort of like took it on myself to like show stuff to people and be a gatekeeper. I really liked that in high school. Um, but also like people were finding it on their own and it was really exciting for me. Cause I was like, People like the movies I like all of a sudden. And then in college, a children's hospital appeared and I was like, <laughs> I, it, it was mind blowing for me, mind blowing for me that like this style of comedy was like really coming into its own. And then I saw more adult swim shit like between, you know, end of high school into, into early college. And I was like, okay, our stuff is winning. Our sensibilities are winning. And it not only yeah it's so cool to have been part of like that sort of comedy shift where alt comedy sort of flipped on its head and became like this like absurdist version of itself and then a lot of people followed it for the next yeah. 10 15 years maybe more and it's still the you can still feel the the reverberations of what David Wayne and Michael Showalter and the crew did with Wet Hot American Summer in all comedy there is awkward sort of wet hot american summer style jokes in marvel movies mm -hmm. yeah in thor yeah. there's a joke there's a joke where in thor where he's like he's spinning around on a chain in thor ragnarok <laughs> and that is that feels like that is a descendant of the David you're probably Wayne's wondering kind. how i got here yes that feels like a descendant of that sort of alt comedy anti-comedy like awkward comedy like stretching out these jokes to like a sort of absurd length like it, you can feel the repercussions in everything especially when the skeleton's jaw like falls off <laughs> yeah yes it's it's uh, it's so one it's so wonderful that this stuff has lived on and it's not some weird the cult did not stay a cult the cult became a religion no yeah. It became it became like just comedy. Like big the, hit movies yeah. have a lot of this sort of humor. And it's like for me, I, I just I probably watched it like a year or two too early because I it was like my sophomore junior year in college where I started to like super get into, you know, C Lab twenty twenty one and Frisky Dingo and all the stuff and I would show everyone these things and I'm like, this is like like that episode, the Bizarro episode of C Lab twenty twenty one. I would show it to everyone. I'm like, this is the funniest thing in the world, and everyone's like, I don't. Like a couple people were like, I get it, kind of, or I really like it, <laughs> but like it's like they're just yelling Bizarro, 
why is that funny? Is it because that's all? <laughs> that's the only thing that's that, that. Don't you like? It's it became a type of humor that was like you either got it or you didn't. And I feel like I missed Wet Hot American Summer. Sort of kind of got locked into the sensibility a couple years later, and then so when I reapproached it all, I don't know why it took me so long to reapproach it. I fell in love with, like Wonder Shows in and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, but you're right, Peter. Like. It's been amazing. It was amazing to see, even though I missed the Wet Hot American Summer specifically, it, it was amazing to see all those that – that kind of sensibility of like not being super obvious. Like a joke could be a joke without it being inherently funny, but like the context around it could make it funny. And it is so weird to see how the state people diverge, why – we, you know, Michael Michael I have issues I really like, but it's more conventionally conventionally funny. Uh, Reno nine one one, which I really like, is more conventionally funny. I really do think that David Wayne is kind of the weird genius that, like, when people are that he kind of propels them to this area of kind of bizarreness that kind of isn't just funny, but has propelled comedy forward in a in a very um it's, it's taken a while but like that's i think he is kind of the secret genius behind all 11 of the state's uh projects yeah that that's something i really love about after a comedy team splits up is you really get to see like whose voice was what in in a team yeah and and you're you're right D- david wayne is definitely the one who He's kind of thinking cinematically. He, he he's the one who's sort of thinking like, okay, we can we can play this joke and like, it, it's not just that like we're playing the joke, but that we're just gonna like we're going to keep playing the joke until it becomes this weird, unrecognizable thing that's still hilarious. And then at the last second, we're gonna throw in a new joke that's related to the first joke. That's like a, a huge left turn. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe that's yes. maybe that's a good start. So my example for that <laughs> type of joke that I think is the easiest to explain because there's a lot of them in this movie, but I think the easy example to explain that is the um is the radio DJ, right? Because mm-hmm. the first joke is <laughs> like, hey, it's you know it's well played, it's well acted. It's like, okay, you're gonna shower. Because you need a shower. Because your kids are coming. So it's like a joke of like a lack of responsibility and the fact this kid has just been sitting in the radio booth for so long, not showering. And then when they circle back to it, you know, it's the same joke again where they're like, okay, but you got to shower. Come on, you need to shower. And it's funny because it's now it's it's you're repeating it. You're going into like a rake gag territory where the kind of all this is like the only time we've seen counselors really care about their job and it's to make a stinky kid. You know, f- stinky stuff is funny. The way the kid portrays it is like, no, no, I'm totally going to do it. Like, that's inherently funny. Um, but it's not like laugh out loud funny, but you get it. Like, he's repeating. He's creating a motif. He's creating a ridiculous situation in the rest of his more ridiculous camp uh, stuff. And this is a little more mundane, but that's what he's doing with it. And then the camera turns and, like, none of his cords are plugged in. And it becomes a super sad story of a dirty kid who's been sitting in this room talking to himself for 12 weeks. And that's what you're left with. And, like, not all of not all of his twists to his jokes are, like, sad, but they that's what he's so good at doing is, like, setting up something that's, that's funny and then figuring out a way to either just propel it into the ground, make a, a super – like – uh, the 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 what's his name? Uh, Alan Shepard. 
is another great example where he, it's funny enough that he has all these super lame cat skills jokes that everyone's laughing hysterically at. And then all of a sudden he get he gets to something that's really edgy for one second where he's talking about, I'm so old that my fucking cat counselor was fucking Jesus Christ. And like, and like, it's like, he, and then he goes right back into the rock stuff and like, it's comedy such a hard thing to talk about and describe. But, like, that's David Wayne's sensibility in a nutshell. It's like, I'm going to give you something that's funny, and I'm going to hammer it home, and that's funny, and I'm going to do a stupid thing with it, and that's funny, and then I'm going to kick your legs out from underneath you at the last second. It's like, it's it's the rake gag, and then, like, and then he replaces the rake with another gardening implement that you, like, and it doesn't do the same thing, and you're just so taken off guard by the fact that he's changed the rules right out from under you. Yeah, so the usual sort of comedy setup is, you know, set up for a joke, and then and then you deliver a punchline no one is expecting. So, or you set up for a joke, and then there's the diversion. The joke is that it had nothing to do with what you were talking about. Those are kind That's of the, the two... Simpsons model, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and it's not to say there's anything wrong with that because the movie is also has jokes like that in it that are just like, just like set up joke, set up joke, and then just like a slight right turn and then you're, and then you're at the punchline and you didn't, we didn't warn you this is where we were going. <laughs> but um, the other thing I love about it, and this is what I love about 30 Rock is that and why 30 Rock is like one of my favorite comedy shows of all time. He treats every style of comedy, every type of joke, everything is all kind of mixed up in David Brain's David Wayne's weird brain. And yeah. He, he he treats it all as this like swimming of ideas. So he's not trying to start a movement with his shit. He's just like this is all the stuff I find funny and 20 to 40% of it is genuinely uncomfortable for people to sit through <laughs> like for instance in a stella short when there's a, all of them just decide to start sucking dildos <laughs> it's very it's it's deeply uncomfortable but like the right people are gonna find it hilarious but that sort of mix of comedy that melandra comedy he sets up all those those different styles of comedy into a symphony and then they play together and what's amazing about that is that comedy really works on the unpredictable that's uh, that's what this movie is, is, is you never know where a moment is going because sometimes he'll play jokes straight. He'll just have a straight joke and then he'll have a joke that's completely absurdist. And like, you can't figure out quite the rhythms, which keeps you on your toes, but matched up against a summer camp, chill hangout movie vibe makes it calming where you're just yeah. like the jokes will get to me it's fine if i miss something it's fine that's part of the reason i like 30 rock because it's a workplace comedy so that sort of like chill vibe of workplace comedy is matched with absurdism and crazy jokes bouncing off of each other and all sorts of different types of jokes and like obviously 30 rock is unrelated to him but that's you know that sort of his influence was felt further on in the future that's also why just referencing a movie he made later they came together is a movie i'm very fond of i'm very fond of they came together but that particular mix was kind of exhausting in the movie by the end because like i had to be on my toes so much for the movie <laughs> that by the end i was like oh, I can finally rest <laughs> like because I could laugh at something really hard and then I'd feel bad for missing a joke. And like some of that is stuff that I put on myself, 
but that that his sort of style of comedy is very aggressive, very interface because he's constantly keeping you on your toes and he's never letting you settle into just like, well, you know what kind of joke is coming up, which I love Mel Brooks. I watch Young Frankenstein as many times a year as I watch Wet Hot American Summer. But Mel Brooks is like a very comfortable sort of mode. You always know what type of joke is coming. Something I find really fascinating in Wet Hot American Summer is how often the jokes are not only tied into the plot, but sort of tied into the obligatory nature of beats. There are a couple scenes where the joke is that somebody has to leave a scene, that like a scene is contingent on somebody leaving or like it's it's con- or the it's continuing is continued on somebody leaving like when Paul Rudd decides that he's going to make out with Elizabeth Banks. Oh my god, I love this. And Sorry, go on. he like J- he's sitting with JJ and yeah, he, he makes the illusion that like what girlfriend and JJ like gives him a high five and he stands up and he just walks off the pier. And flat like, off the pier <laughs> and he like clearly he stops clearly in, in any movie they would find some clever way to make that character exit the scene mm-hmm. but, but he just like he just literally falls into the lake <laughs> well and then and then they have the one too where they come back from town and they all just stand mm-hmm. and face the house <laughs> hey, hey guys wait up and they just stand and, and he like throws himself in and then they just start standing like staring straight at the wall um, or I also think when the um, the science kids, when they're running back in the mm-hmm. work one, like they're having a conversation, uh, Niles and Janine Garofalo are, and there's one kid that runs backwards with his arms outstretched um, instead of going the right way and just, just see him run through the woods like the fucking penguin in Encounters <laughs> at the End of the World. You would assume going off to die in the woods somewhere, <laughs> or 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 the uh, the motorcycle chase with uh, Joe Latruglio and uh, Ken Marino, where the story tells you that Marino has to lose Latruglio, and they solve that by just putting a bale of hay in the middle of the the road. And, yeah, and, and Ken Marino like he has to stop because it's like whoa I can't get over this bale of hay and and Latruga has come up right behind him and he just like he jumps over it in slow motion he runs down the road and Latruga just has to stop because he can't even drive he can't drive around the bale of hay like like it's not even close to Joe Latrugia, um driving the <laughs> motorcycle like and they put a wig on him. But the wig doesn't match at all, which is extra funny. Right. Like, like the, it's it is it is a mullet. It's just a totally different style of mullet, which is somehow even funnier. During that same sequence, when Joe Latruglio is chasing after Ken Marino, there's a rabbit that hops in front of the frame, <laughs> as, if to, as if to make fun of the fact that they're exploiting like distance and they're exploiting the the way that these shots work. That like, yeah. Film is timey wimey and speedy weedy. Like you could, you can do whatever you want with film. So he's just like, let's have a rabbit just hop in front of the frame to make everything look a little slower and dumber. Like that sort of thing is also great because if the film was full of just shots of people of of stuff making fun of the film, it could be very exhausting and bad. There's a reason Black Dynamite works, and it's because Black Dynamite is fucking funny. Mm-hmm. But Black Dynamite makes fun of itself all the time, but it also delivers great solid jokes. If Black Dynamite were just people making fun of movies and how movies are made, like 100% of the jokes were that, it would be interminable. It'd be the worst movie ever. He's not only willing to parody something, he's willing to parody the parody, which I, I fucking love. I think that's why 
if you were familiar with the typical what you would call a parody like and it's not just the Mel Brooks and the Sucker Abrams stuff because all of those movies led to like they basically those were revolutionary in the same way in that they redefined parody right so so there was like a million movies that were unassociated with Brooks or Mm-hmm. Zucker and Abrams, like Spy Hard or, you know, uh, Wrongfully Ugh. Accused and some that – and like Jane Austen's Mafia and like sometimes a Pat Prof would show up in there. But like it was like this is – this is – we just gonna, are going to throw shit at the wall and the jokes don't have to be funny. But every single one has like a, a cat skills vibe. Like, hey, we're being wacky here. And like there's a ton of great Mel Brooks movies. And there's a ton of great uh, – well, there's a couple great Zucker Abrams movies. Um, but then – but this – but their whole thing is like let's blow stuff up to be super ridiculous. So like in Naked Gun, it's not just like um, a guy comes through the door with a gun. What if 15 people come through with like different guns and then a tank drives through? Like that's that's – the that's that type of parody and that's kind of the parody we all got used to and i think what david wayne does that's genius is like he strips down a lot of it to its like base so that instead of being overt and ridiculous as a way to mock it he just has people like call out the tropes of the genre in simple lines um and then that's and then that's it so it ends up being really subtle and sometimes confusing like when Niles and Janine Garofalo are like, you know, talking about, uh, you know, they're getting to know each other again. And he goes back and is like, Janine Garofalo is like, Henry. And he's like, call me Henry. Okay, Henry. And like, it's really <laughs> subtle, but it's like, it's it's because they're restarting the meet cute and getting to know each other. And that's David Wayne communicating like, this is a dumb part that you would see in this movie. And I'm going to strip it down to its dumbest what it's trying to say and you need to get that joke like you need to understand that it's not just funny that he said can i you know henry can i call you henry but i'm trying to like approximate what this what a movie how little effort movies put in sometimes to connecting characters and and sometimes he completely like reverses it where the parody is critique of how things should be like the the whole mckinley storyline where uh JJ and and who's the who's the dude who uh, helps out Christopher Maloney? I think he's the secret one of the secret weapons of this movie because even though Gene is the clearly the funniest character of the movie, I think his reactions eighty are, miles. Yeah, he, his reactions are what makes that stuff so funny. But go ahead. What I was saying is, uh, you know, I think the the whole arc where they find out McKinley's gay is David Wayne sort of parodying the casual homophobia of 80s comedies, like not just summer camp comedies, but like comedies in general. And like, and then the parody takes a turn into how things should be where like they, they storm into the mess hall. It's like McKinley, this is for you. And they've brought them like a chase lounge. Yeah. Because like they were like, they were taken aback and then it's like, Oh, cool. They're, uh, they're happy. We should we should get them a wedding gift. Yeah. David Wayne also influenced my comedy in a very specific way. And that was that that joke. And also the pep talk in the baseball baseball field leading to um, Michael Showalter just asking the Camp Tiger Claw coach if they could just <laughs> not have the game. And they just have like an amicable discussion. All of them, yeah. all of that really influenced my sense of comedy because I was like, I thought comedy was all about conflict. Comedy can be really funny if something seems like it's going to be a big conflict and then all of a sudden everybody just like is a reasonable person 
Because you're like, yeah. wait, what? Hold on. I'm watching a movie. I'm watching a movie, and there's no. Con- they, they keep undermining the conflict. Yeah, and th- you're right. The that that scene with the homophobia is such a perfect because it is. It is exactly that. It is a bunch of characters going, oh, yeah, no, this would be a normal reaction among friends. And so – but and somehow that ends up being the joke. And it's not making fun of – like you said, it's not making fun of the fact that characters are gay. It's making fun of the fact that, yeah, it's kind of shitty for everyone to not do this like in these movies. Like shouldn't they be supportive of their friends? And that's like – I remember seeing that was one of the standout moments, even the first time I watched it is like, oh, I like this is pretty amazing. And then the next 20 minutes didn't like didn't necessarily fly over my head, but like I didn't really connect with them. I'm like, ah, they need more of that stuff where it's like edging closer to, to the parody. I understand that sort of willingness to. Not only, like, build up drama and then dissipate drama, but also, like, build up a joke and throw it away. That sort of willingness to really say fuck you to an audience when, like, the audience wants something specific is so transgressive and so genius in in something like this. Because, like, even look at the ending of the movie. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, there's no perfect thing than, like, giving the character that you're rooting for a victory (laughs) moment and then taking it away, not with, like, meanness, but just, like, rationality. Like, look, Mm -hmm. I'm 16. I'm not ready for a serious relationship. You might be the kind of guy I marry, but, like, I'm I'm – I'm allowed to just go fuck a person that I find attractive right now because I – that makes sense for a 16-year-old, right? And so, like, the way he's able to take it away with, like – Making the audience go, oh, yeah, no, she she's right. And every movie that makes 16-year-old soulmates is kind of dumb. Yeah, and, it, and it, I love it because it's a perfect parody of the genre, but it's also a really great way to summarize um, something that movies don't do. Movies don't set you up to have this big dramatic reveal and this big romantic reveal and then have a wo- the woman step in and be like, hey, these are the nine reasons why I'm going <laughs> to go with the bad guy. And they're all reasonable. And then Coop just kind of nods his head. He's like, yeah, I guess all that makes sense. Like, I, it is also an extension of the friendliness thing. Like, he's clearly a little bummed, but he's like, well, I mean, that's all reasonable. Um and she says, like, yeah, sex, specifically sex with Andy and not you. Um, but we're still friends, right? Like, that sort of, that sort of, like, breakup dynamic is not only, like, heartbreaking and really subversive to the movie, but it it is, like, a nice way to just, like, teach you a little bit of a lesson with all these sort of sex comedies that, like... Just mm-hmm. because you like put the work in, just because you had your amazing montage with Christopher Maloney, <laughs> just because, just because it seems like you're the main character of the movie, just, does not mean that you've earned Katie. It does not mean that you've earned the hot girl at camp. It does, just because it makes total sense doesn't mean that she's yours. It, it's a movie that re- like it's a, it's a gag that really highlights her autonomy as a person. Yeah, and that's it's. In a strange – not in a strange way, but like most 2001 comedies do not age well and this one has like aged amazingly where if anything, it's like why weren't more movies 
having having this kind of like gender politics and sexual politics and everything else that comes along with it like I, I, you know, I, I know this term is used more for joke than seriousness, but like, this is a pretty fucking woke ass movie for two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it, and like, like I said earlier, there's a whole thing about like, there's a gay couple who has like a sensuous romance, and like, the when that's when that all concludes, it's not McKinley losing his friends. It's not McKinley getting ostracized or tarred and feathered. Like, the joke is not any of that. The joke is his friends go and they huddle after after saying, McKinley's a fag. Pardon the use of the F word. But they go and huddle and then they're like, oh, we should respect our friend for the way that he is. And, and then they give him a, a chaise lounge from Crate and Barrel. And, like, that's sort of... Subversion of jokes is not only funny, it's also like, wait, why wouldn't it just be like this? Like, why do we have to, why does every comedy have to be like, well, yeah, everybody is going to act like a dickwad all the time, right? Mm. Why do all these, especially sex sex comedies, sex comedies rely on everybody being exploited, exploitative and cruel and mean all the time. And this movie's like, it's actually funnier when they're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. And... It's also it actually fits like from a character perspective because what have they been talking about the whole time? They feel bad for their friend and they're trying to get them laid to make them happy. <laughs> right? That's what they're trying to do. They're like, yeah. yes. we need to get you a girl, McKinley. Like so they're like they're out there trying to find a girl to support their friend, and that's when they see that he's that he's gay and getting married to Bradley Cooper. And so of course the reaction is like, <laughs> hey, we he did it. He did find someone. That's what we were looking for in the first place. Like it so it's it's not just it doesn't just work from like that subversion of the trope and this and the pointing out how mean so many of those sex uh comedies, uh which is almost like synonymous with summer camp comedies, uh minus give or take a heavyweights. Um but uh it also is like somehow adds character consistency, which is usually something that is not even mm-hmm. like doesn't does not matter in parody but if you look at all these characters in david wayne's parodies they still have very strong characterizations and they they don't behave outside of the realm of like their actual character so having like a a person who you understand their motivation and it doesn't really change in a parody is almost unheard of until until this movie like that's the whole joke is that you know he can be this this person could be a cowboy and a race car driver and a super pilot and he also like that's the joke is that they don't they're not because they're not characters they're joke delivery systems in most parodies yeah yeah they're they're just not <laughs> uh and and there's there was a there was a line that actually stuck out to me this time speaking of like sort of the woke nature of the movie where uh they're talking about how they need to get McKinley laid, and uh, and he goes. One of them goes, "We need to get him some P and V action." He goes, "Penis of vagina." And he goes, "No," <laughs> and that's like, "No, dude." Like, the, <laughs> yeah, and like the like the joke should be that like like that like of course that's what he's referring to, but then like when you when you like give the space to analyze it it's like no it's a lot more complicated than that aaron the thing you were talking about earlier is that like the entire have you, we haven't talked about the cook yet right no 
No, I mean, it's like on, we, we, there, there's okay, so much so this movie still to talk about. My fiance Molly, who was on last week's episode, she muzzle tough. Thank you, Molly. She like was like I can't, I like can't even look at him like because I'm just seeing him as his character on uh, Law and Order SVU, and it's so funny <laughs> to think that like he went on to play like make a lot of money and do I don't know hundreds of episodes on TV as this this specific character who's very serious almost never gets to crack jokes and then in this he's like this like he's like a it's like a parody of his persona later before he ever did it and then he came back for the tv show to do it and did it even better in the in the two preceding or two following tv shows well then he almost uh, he started to almost only pop up in movies as like as like a, a crazy comedic character but like i didn't watch law and order but i watched i watched oz which he is on uh and he's a pretty major character on oz and it was the same thing like he's intense he's a nazi he's like you know he's a he's a kind of a bad dude he falls in love with like the main character of oz and they have a relationship so good at playing intense yeah but like kind of like a Will Arnett thing, like Will Arnett has this great quote where he didn't he never thought he was a comedian, but he just he just was too intense of a dramatic actor and people would laugh at him. And that's how he realized that maybe he should do comedy. Like so his like his like performances in Arrested Development, and all these other things that we like Will Arnett for is like specifically just his dr- dramatic acting that he got laughed out of rooms for. And like that feels a little bit in line with what Christopher Maloney's doing. Is like, he, I mean, Christopher Maloney's clearly a better dramatic actor, but like that level of intensity when like turned turn the knob to the other side, it becomes like a uh, it becomes a gene. Yes, yes, and it and the the what you were talking about earlier with the sort of acceptance progressive thing. His entire arc is not them ousting him from the camp for being a pervert. His entire arc <laughs> is him talking to a can of beans and vegetables, which something I've never caught in this movie, despite having seen it a ton of times, is that there's a scene where A.D. Miles looks yeah, at the can and he says, up. you better talk to him. <laughs> yeah. How have I never caught that? I, th- I thought every time, every time I thought A.D. Miles was talking to himself, but he was just holding an object. He's wearing sunglasses, too, so mm-hmm. you can't quite tell, like, where he's looking. But I thought A.D. Miles was always looking at it. And that's why this movie is so great and layered, because it's so absurd. It's like, no, you can't predict that the can of <laughs> beans and vegetables is going to fucking talk to is gonna talk to uh, Christopher Maloney about his weird habit of saying, like, eh, I'm going to go fondle some sweaters. What did you say? Uh, duh, fondue with cheddar. I, I, I got to go. Like, you, you, you can never predict something like that. But you're right, though. It is super. It's not... The, the crazy cook who is into some weird shit, no one's like, get that cook away from me. They're all just trying to help him accept who he is to, like, move on from the horrors and the PTSD he suffered during the <laughs> Vietnam War. And when they're finally, like, when he finally is like, I'm going to go fuck this refrigerator, everyone's like, <laughs> finally, Gene. That's what we're rooting for for you. Like, um, my, And my my favorite bit about that that the way he mounts the refrigerator like they kind of wheel it out and he he steps up and he like he almost caresses it first yeah and then he kind of like there's a little bit of like pelvic thrust where like 
he's like he's getting into it. He's it, like it's almost like he's making sure the fridge is comfortable too, and it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to violate the fridge. He wants to make love to the fridge. Yeah, because, like, he's not just going to hump this fridge without, like, getting it there. Yes. Yeah. He literally gives a monologue to a speech to the entire lunchroom, mm-hmm. and people rot- stand up from their seats to give him a standing ovation for this fucking thing where he's like all he wants to do is hump the fridge and be and get through his weird Vietnam trauma and, and get through all that shit. But. <laughs> Uh, everyone is just like, yeah, he's a fucking angry weirdo. What does he need? <laughs> and then they discover what he really needed was to just get it all out with weird sex with objects. And that's fine. That's great. And that's why the movie's awesome because like it le- treats it like a legitimate victory that he's humping a fridge. <laughs> you know, I think one of the more that that's just like overt absurdism, which is uh, Gail, um, and <laughs> and like the way she kind of oh like, yes. Like, the way that she kind of breaks down about, like, um, her, like, divorce. And, like, and that's a great David Wayne bit, bit too, because in that whole runner, because it starts out as, like, absurdism, right? Like, Molly Shannon is um, is being, like, shitty about the crans because she's going through an emotional breakdown. And so, you, you're supposed to kind of laugh that, like, that she's having this emotional breakdown in front of kids. And then you're supposed to laugh that the kids are super like smart about how this stuff works and then giving her advice and then and that's funny and then you watch it again and and you're like oh like they're giving her like really good advice the joke is not that they're giving bad advice the joke is that they're young they're doing great yeah they're doing great yeah and but but the but the fact that like they never mock Molly Shannon like Right? At no point, like, and I think that's why sometimes this movie can be confusing as an audience. And ma- and I think David Wade knows that because you start out laughing at Molly Shannon, right? Yeah. Like, that's because you think that's My the ex, joke. Ex, ex-husband, ex-husband. That's yeah, something I then, say all the time about, like, <laughs> about, like, roommates. I'm like, my ex-roommate, ex, ex, ex-roommate. <laughs> but, like, that's why he's so good at subverting it because you're supposed to laugh at the sad 40-year-old camp counselor who has a breakdown. And then all they do – all he does the rest of the movie is, sure, the advice is coming from kids, but just instill empathy in what it's like to, like – think you found someone after an already rough first marriage and then to see that fall apart and then like giving her the strength to reject Judah Friedlander afterwards so that she can actually grow as a person like at no point does after that first part um does the movie expect you to to mock her or think she's pitiable if anything they they want you to see her as a strong person who's finally standing up for herself as a way to get a better relationship in the in the in the in the future and again i think that's why people sometimes walk away from this movie confused because you are start out you are the asshole like i laughed at first of course i did like, because you think that's what you're supposed to do. You see a grown woman crying in front of kids about a marker and you laugh. And then the movie spends the rest of the time humanizing her. And then it has a stupid, like, absurd joke at the end, which doesn't bother me because it is just – I mean, there's kids <laughs> drowning in this movie too. Like, you have to accept that there's going to be some absurdism-related uh, stuff. But it is just like, okay, hey, you laughed at her. Now I'm going to make you feel kind of bad for laughing at her. And you can see why audiences are going, wait, what What am I supposed to think about this movie? 
my favorite thing about the, the the way the kids are helping her is when they're doing the rehearsal phone call and she's stumbling and one of the kids goes be strong gail yeah those two those two boys in that that scene are the most amazing actors that they could have found like they are so good at what everything that the scene demands of them and that those are tough scenes i imagine for children oh yeah and and they they like they nail it beautifully like the 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 kid who's like who sort of takes lead like he's sort of Aaron. his name's Aaron Aaron <laughs> Aaron is, is very like he's 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 forceful in sort of like getting his point across but he's also very gentle and understanding in giving Molly Shannon the time and the space to come to the realizations but yeah no it's it's wonderful and then there's a scene late in the movie when um <laughs> when Judah Friedlander comes back in and he is all he's not apparently in the original script they wanted him and, and Molly Shannon to start kissing um, <laughs> and then everybody was uncomfortable and I'm really glad they didn't do that instead he just does something that's like really sweet he's like he's I think he's like putting his hand behind her hair or something like rubbing the back of her neck uh, I'm trying to remember exactly oh you mean uh, you mean Aaron yes <laughs> oh uh, he's like it's 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 actually pretty early on. He he gives her like a neck massage. Yes, it, and and in in that in that moment, you're like, oh, this sort of like sweetness, <laughs> this directness is its own joke because he's a child. He's not supposed <laughs> to be this like uh, thoughtful and and, and 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 yes, wise behind beyond his years. It's 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 such a fucking funny joke, and it's so well, and sweet. also yeah, and the like if you go down the line, this is a very like. You know, a humanist movie because there's only one character that really is ever the – I mean, there's a couple of characters that are like the movies mean to. Paul Rudd, the movie is mean to, but also the movie recognizes that he looks like Paul Rudd. And so he's going to end up winning. He's a monster. He's a monster. Yeah. He's like murdering kids basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other time that this movie is like super mean – it's to Amy Poehler and Bradley Cooper after the Godspell stuff, which is a very funny joke because they've been enthusiastic about, like, you know, balancing a baseball. Like, normal camp shit. Like, when I've been to, like, those day camps where it's like, hey, everyone's going to do a talent. It's like someone uh, balancing a bat for 10 seconds on their hand. You know? And the, the joke that everyone freaks out is very funny. And then for them, the joke is that, like, they put on, like, a pretty good performance of a Godspell musical number, and everyone is super into it up until the end where they're like, fuck you, boo, blah, blah, blah. But Amy Poehler and Bradley Cooper have been terrible to everyone about this musical. So, like, that's the only time that, like, characters are kind of returned negativity for the stuff that you expect people to make fun of, and it's it's kind of a little bit deserved for them because they have made this talent show and this night a living hell for anyone that engages with them on it. But that's like it. Like who else is the truly the butt of jokes? Like there's always the jokes. There's in no it. real villain. No. Yeah. Skylab it's is very the real human. villain here. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's NASA for refusing to keep the upkeep going. <laughs> what's his name again? What's the what's the um, the kid's name who like has been like I don't know checking the sexual reproductive organs of chickens? Kevin Sussman, Steve, <laughs> Steve. Steve. Yeah. So, but even him, like he's a weird kid, and people go up and like, hey, we, we know you're having a tough time here. Like maybe try to be included, <laughs> and then he does some crazy shit, and everyone loves it. Like. 
That's the joke. The joke is that the the kid that everyone ignored is actually like literally amazing. And that's it. That's the joke. And and don't forget when when Janine Garofalo is like approaching him and like you've had a, a rough time. Is this your first year? And he's like, I've been here five summers. You were my counselor yeah. for the first three. Yeah, it's it's like super sad and empathetic where it it kind of almost makes me aware of how mean comedy is, right? Because mm-hmm. you almost get tripped up that no one is being mean to each other in the way that you've anticipated it. Whether it's the kids being mean to the sad counselor lady, whether it's everyone being mean for, for two people for having a sexuality that they don't under, fully understand or is different than them. Whether it's mean for just being the weird nerdy kid. Even the other nerdy kids – like, get a legitimately heartwarming ending when they're all hugging Niles and, like, we really did something this summer. Like, there's no joke there. It is – it is ev- – everyone is treated, like, with respect. And, again, I think that's why people didn't quite understand the language of where the comedy was because, like, every sitcom – and, like, there's great sitcoms where characters are super mean to each other – I'm not saying like, oh, it's too bad that Seinfeld characters are kind of assholes to each other. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. But I think the the other part that confused people in the language of comedy is that no one was mean to each other in this movie. <laughs> the only scene where someone is like bullied directly are there's a couple scenes where people are like, I am not putting that like Amy Poehler is like, I'm not putting that kid in my show. And then. <laughs> Gene Garofalo is like, yes, you are. Josh, you always wins! And and the great thing about that whole conversation is Janine Garofalo says nothing. She's just kind of staring at her. Amy Poehler just has this whole argument with herself. Yes, it's so good. And then the other scene where someone is mean to somebody is um, when the D&D kid comes up to the girls' tables <laughs> and he goes, excuse me, ladies. And then he goes through his whole spiel and he goes, he goes, Alexa, you must be a you must be a druid because you've certainly cast a level five charm spell on me. And she's like, shut up, douchebag. Like, douchebags are hygienic. I choose to take that as a compliment. Thank you. So... The two times that the people are like really mean to each other, and there's a few, there's a few times you could count also, but like the two times I can think of where people are mean to each other, one of them it ends with a a nobody, a, a weird kid being included, and then the second time the, the nerdy weird kid kind of wins in the end because he grosses them all out and walks away <laughs> with like a smug little smile like that. That is that is the movie in a nutshell where it's like it doesn't want to other and bully kids a second time. Like David Wayne clearly was one of these kids, like one of the weird kids, or he was just aware enough that he was like, I don't want to bully these kids all over again. Well, and also like they never bully vulnerable characters. And I think one of the jokes of the um, the the nerdy kid that comes over to talk to those girls is he is not vulnerable. You're supposed to expect him to be vulnerable because he's a nerdy kid, and nerdy kids can't have confidence. But like their their kind of rejection of him completely is not your defense mechanism. Like he sells it so well, it's like okay, that's fine. I just wanted to try, but you're not going to ruin my day. Like and he goes back to his table. Yeah, he's so. like, I might, he's like, might as well swing the bat, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. That, I think that's the delineation, that this movie doesn't mock vulnerable characters. Like, it it sometimes makes jo- jokes around them, but it never is like, look at this 
this, you know, other or look at this shitty person. And that's like that is a lot of the language of comedy. Like as much as we talk about like the perfect version of comedy being punching up, like, you know, all those terrible comedies that made like gay jokes for decades and decades and decades and decades that were just there to like mock gay people is like the the epitome of punching down or um other lgbtq plus people or uh people of color or whatever it is like there is a million jokes in comedies about um comedies made by like you know straight white cis men about like um black people or gay people or whatever else it is and like that was all and we laughed and we watched blazing saddles and we watched uh trading places and on and on and on and on but we were watching punching down a lot and this movie doesn't punch down and and even even the characters who like because it's you know it's it's not a movie without a certain amount of often physical pain uh but they sort of have their like emotional wily coyotes where like it hits them and then they kind of like they take a breather and they bounce back from it like uh ken marino spends the entire movie running back from taking those kids rafting to to try to have sex with uh what is it, amy abby. bernstein abby bernstein yeah, abby bernstein i think but it's like he, he arrives at the camp and he's all bloodied and like and like he's totally let down like that she like just went off to somebody else and then they tell him that like oh the, the, you have to go save these kids and he's like he's perfectly quaffed his he, he doesn't have any of his cuts anymore like he just he had that moment of like oh and then it was like dude you have this thing you have to do and he's like i'm on it the whole thing in the movie is just like with with him and, and by the way the best joke in the movie to me is when he's just driving the truck and he goes, <laughs> oh yeah and he's singing along and it's I'm so in love with you. Oh, fuck. Like, and he crashes in the tree. Like, every time I watch the movie, it breaks my brain. Because Ken Marino is a fucking, like, live wire. Like, nothing nothing Ken Marino does in this movie is not funny to me. And especially in the... We haven't talked about the... We'll get to that at the end. But we haven't talked about the sequel shows. Ken Marino, in that moment is basically david wayne making fun of himself he apparently did that he was driving he mm-hmm. he stole a car when he was 14 or 15 when he was like on he got assigned <laughs> to some trip he drove a car to drive back to camp to bang some girl that like he wanted to wanted him to bang her and the, he crashed the car into a tree and had to wander back and appear, so apparently david wayne is making fun of himself through that scene and he chooses to do it in a way that is like one of the best comedy like just quick five second jokes i've ever seen but it also works so well for his style compared to other parodies right like you watch something like top secret which is a great movie they're trying to get somewhere and there's like an escalating series of ridiculous obstacles that get in their way and eventually crashes the car with the pinto right but that's the joke is like how absurd it's absurdism it's how crazy it is and david wayne's like okay i need him to crash the car what's the most absurd thing it's not escalation it's oh yeah he just he just crashes into that tree right there <laughs> like off the road and that's that's again that's how he's doing parody which is so different than what we were all used to <laughs> it's because it's, it's if you trust ken marino in the scene ken marino will 
make the scene funny. <laughs> we should actually, that's a perfect time, though, because he is singing the perfect song. Talk about the music in this movie. Because um, mm-hmm. this this music, so uh, the music in this movie is amazing. I don't know about you guys, but um, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of this movie when I first saw it, I went immediately to LimeWire and tried to download Higher and Higher, thinking it was a real song. Of course. Um, and I was very bummed that I could not find it anywhere on Kazaa or LimeWire or all of the legal ways that I got music in my college years. Uh, and it wasn't really made available until um, 2015. Every other moment like has the perfect song for it. Like when um, Turn Me Loose, when Ken Marino's running, uh, Rick Springfield's Love Is Alright Tonight, uh, when they go into town, which it is both the song and the parody because it is a song that somehow just keeps – it starts out really like up there, <laughs> right? Like really excited and then somehow keeps getting more and more up throughout the song. <laughs> Like, to the point where he's, like, just screaming, baby! Like, and it just keeps going up. To the point that I used that song as my, um, uh, I don't know what you call it anymore. But, you so, you know the song when the uh, bridal party arrives and everyone walks in? That was the song I used because I couldn't think of another song that was just all ups. And then somehow the ups <laughs> kept getting higher. But Love Is Alright Tonight is like a series of escalations in a song that starts out on Mount Everest. It's the best. But I didn't I didn't think that was – once I found out that Higher and Higher wasn't a real song, I assumed that Love Is Alright Tonight was also not a real song. Um and that speaks to how pitch perfect Higher and Higher is as a parody. Oh, my God. And, and they used it in Stella and a couple other shows as well, which made me even more think it was a real show, a real song. But I didn't know. I Once I found out Higher and Higher was fake, I the next one, I was like, well, there's no way Love is All Right Tonight is a real song. But it is. Also, like, it, it's not used funny at all, but I just love Jefferson Starship's Jane in the opening credits. Uh, I know. Yeah. Also, I put that song on a few summer playlists. The first minute and a half is the only good part of the song <laughs> because that's an amazing opening to a song. So I love that they use it. And that whole opening scene is really great because it's not really dense with jokes or anything. It's just sort of letting you know what kind of movie they're going to be messing with. It does have an amazing joke. Like that joke still gets me where they... They hit that that part on Jane that's like a little guitar solo, and you know Michael mm-hmm. Black who does like the air guitar, but then the the guitar player I forget his name also does a fake strum with the real guitar to that note in his hand, which is <laughs> yeah he he actually like he plays he plays like the, the that part of the solo. Oh, okay, because it looked to me like he was he was barely even strumming the bottom string, but still doing no, like, like the like he was doing an air guitar. No, like to, I, for most of the song, he's just sort of like he's he's general air guitaring. But when they push in on that close up, where like it goes, like he's actually like he's very precise in that moment. There is a montage that's a parody of you know eighties training montages that in the middle features like almost like a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where everyone <laughs> is wearing blankets and drinking coffee. Like, and also the rest of it is all just dirty dancing moments, which. Um, instead of like the, there's like a, there's like a race and then there's dirty dancing and then they just keep cutting back in between the Rocky race and the dirty dancing. And then you're right. The AA meeting. <laughs> uh, but but so that actually does lead into something I want to talk about, which is, uh, how much the movie plays with time. It can be weirdly precise. Like there's, there's the great joke about meet me, uh, over by the, by the bench in 10 seconds. 
and Ginny Garofalo just waits on screen for 10 seconds before walking over the bench. 10 seconds, yes. Uh, but then, like, then there's stuff like the going to town montage, uh, or the fact that Ken Marino spends 80% of the movie running from the, the scene of that accident to the camp, and then when he has to go rescue the campers, he's there in, like, five seconds. Like, it, it's just, there's this amazing elasticity of time, and, and the the inner titles when like they're telling you what time of day it is are kind of like hilariously precise where it's, it's not just like six thirty or like five fifteen. It's like six twenty three or like seven fifty four, where it's like, it's these incredibly precise time markers. And given how elastic time is like, they don't have to be that precise, but it's just funny that they are that exact. Yeah. Do you think it's, uh, do you think it's David Wayne, playing around with the the idea that like time is timey-wimey and magical in every movie that's not like fucking nick of nick of time or something like that or phone booths where they're trying to like do the 24 thing because like that's what it feels like he's like look time doesn't matter in movies anyway because everything you're seeing is like not not in real time yeah i i I genuinely think that's what he's doing I, i i think that that weird precision and then like the weird like there's no way that happened in an hour uh it is very much him sort of playing around with you're watching a movie and like nothing that happens in a movie can actually happen in the amount of time that they tell you there's an incredible uh, amount of evidence behind this and it's the it's actually the best scene in the movie when they go to town when they they go to town they somehow go from french fries to heroin in <laughs> an hour an hour they go they go from french fries to beer no it's french fries to cigarettes to beer to weed to (laughs) cocaine to heroin and then they're in a flop house and then they drive back into town looking just as sparkly nice as they they were and they said it's always great to get away even for an hour and i love i love the fact that michael ian black is just standing on the he he's standing leaning forward against the cabin of the truck with his arms held out and he's standing that way when they leave and he's standing the exact same way when they come back (laughs) yes it's so wonderful because like it's the idea that like nothing you just saw actually matters (laughs) the movie is like hammering that into your head like don't worry the heroin is is, does not matter and time does not matter like months did not pass this is still the last (laughs) day of camp where all this shit is happening like the only thing that senses uh passage of time is it gets dark eventually at the very end of the movie all of this stuff the sense of playing with time and how scenes don't seem to make sense, but they kind of flow nicely if you're high or you're not paying attention, <laughs> is all reliant on David Wayne being a really great director with mm-hmm. a really great visual sense. Because not only does it kind of look like a 1981 movie, like he kind of nailed that, but also he also like makes it kind of a nice looking movie like he nails those musical sequences and like he he wants to nail the gag he doesn't want you to think that this is making fun of bad movies he wants you to think that this is making fun of 
everything, but specifically the movies that you grew up with. The Sleepaway Camps, Meatballs, which Meatballs is terrible. You know, all those sort of camp movies that, that you grew up with. It wants it wants to make fun of them in a really like sharp way, not in a sort of like epic movie or Spartan movie or whatever the fuck kind yeah. of like generic parody kind of way. It wants to separate itself from that sort of like lazy parody. I, I don't know if you guys heard the uh, the art are you talking R.E.M. Remy with David Wayne where he just talked about his his time in like high school in an R.E.M. cover band and like he had all the <laughs> tapes from no. it? Um, no. It, it's really good. I'd highly recommend it. But it also like backs up something I've always felt about David Wayne where I honestly think that he is a like a genius who relates to the world in odd and interesting ways. And that's why he was like able to kind of make this push in comedy. And he's so unassuming and he's such a nice guy and he's so pleasant, but like anytime I've ever seen an interview with him or like heard a commentary track, he's always like this almost like impish manic figure. And a lot of times when you are watching like a commentary track on like a something in the ilk of Stella, you're like, okay, they're still making it a joke. But on two hours of him just talking about even his favorite REM songs and stuff like that, I started to think that like I think he like really matches that idea that we think of when we think of like genius, which is like he the way he interacts with people and the world and everything else is like a little askew from the way that we that we see it and so it's just every every like comment and perception is funny in a way because it's kind of off kilter from our own and so i like i know he got a lot of shit for uh, a, f- a futile and stupid gesture is like why didn't you make this funny um, but I actually really like that movie because i think it's, it's just pretty kind fu- of a straight it's pretty funny thing. actually i like it a lot more than the i really like it yeah yeah. Um I really like the 10. I don't know why you're down with down with the 10. <laughs> Ooh, ah! yeah, I like like one of the se- I like one of the sins I think in the 10, but I I, I don't Is it at least like one. it was a goof? <laughs> uh, like I think Wet Hot is clearly his best. Oh yeah. And then I'd go they came together. Uh Role Models is good. Yeah. I and then the 10. Uh, I was just going to say I think I would put Role Models slightly ahead of uh, they came together. Uh like it's it's pretty it, good. It's more conventional in a lot of ways, but then like there are those really there, there are those great little moments where David Wayne kind of like peeks through and turns it into genius. <laughs> like when he confronts uh, Chris Fremont's plots and like he he lets him kill him on the battlefield and like they had this moment of understanding. it's like you know this was really fun. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sort of sweetness is funny, yeah. It's about not mocking the the nerdy LARPer kids. Mm-hmm. It's about, hey, maybe they're onto something, and there's a way to have fun with that without... Because Paul Rudd is an asshole, and it's kind of about, like, maybe you can do better in life if you're, like, nice and engaging with people. And maybe if you don't so, break up yeah. with a girl because she tastes like a burger. Yeah, and I like Wanderlust better than Feudal Stupid Gesture. Mm. I really wish I liked Wanderlust. I feel like there's a lot of people who, maybe that's a Wet Hot American Summer that I need to watch again. But like, Wanderlust was like, yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's missing something for me. It, it's not totally there, but <laughs> there's enough in there that's like so fucking funny. And like the scene where Paul Rudd is trying to psych himself up to join an orgy, or no, he's trying to psych himself up to fuck a beautiful person. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck my dick. <laughs> or, or, or the moment where when he's there, the woman starts going into labor. <laughs> and, like, the movie just becomes a full-on horror movie for a moment. <laughs> and, yes. like, they're screaming, and the camera's, like, really pushing tight, and everything's spinning, and he's freaking out, and then, like... It, it just as like quickly it's all over it's a movie that's very interesting sort of like they came together in that it's kind of exhausting for me in that it's like very funny by the end of it i'm like it's just not the perfect mix but i think stella children's hospital a lot of his tv work basically mm-hmm. and wet hot are sort of the perfect mix where like by the end of it i'm laughing my sides hurt but like i'm not actually like exhausted and and you want like a little more by the end of they came together i was like that could have ended 10 minutes earlier (laughs) not actual literal 10 minutes earlier because we would have missed the michael shannon stuff (laughs) which is the best stuff in the movie but like you know they could have cut 10 minutes from the middle so let's 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 do two minutes on the sequel series so i'll be honest so i i think i think the hype for first day camp was and maybe it's just in our little group but it felt like it was overwhelming, like of a Twin Peaks level uh, when the Twin Peaks revival happened. Um, so that's and, and it's such a weird, absurdist, um, perfect, like alchemic mix of of all the different things. I thought it was going to be really hard to repeat and I ended up loving it. Um, and I watched it a couple times. And then, of course, every time you watch it, you go and watch the movie because it's able to fit in all these things. Like that stupid name that Janine Garofalo gives. I need to go talk to Jim, so-and-so. Like, they make that an actual person that she's met at one point, And it's not lame. Like, it's very funny. And then it mm-hmm. still has all the... It's not like a Star Wars prequels thing where you're just like, ugh. Instead, it's like, it's actually like a very satisfying, funny joke. Yeah, and then, you know, it, it kind of is able to, like, match the gauntlet of, like, um, sweetness and funniness and then, like, just straight up great jokes and then, like, to remind you you're watching a parody. Like, um, I I still think that one of the hardest moments I've ever laughed is that part where Michael, Michael Sarah's on an iPhone and someone goes, because <laughs> it's the 80s, and he's like, hey, what is that? Don't worry about it. And, like, that's it. <laughs> but – You've been watching Michael Sarah on this iPhone for a long time, and if you're like myself, forgetting that this is set in the 1981 because you're so used to it. And then Especially because everyone is by, older and yes. – Yeah. And then when you walk by and someone's like, hey, what are you talking to? And he's like, just don't worry about it. It's like, oh, yeah. He has an iPhone on and I didn't even catch that weird. And that's a little special David Wayne thing because – that for that joke to work, David Wayne has to know that four episodes into this TV show, set in the eighties, that if you see Michael Sarah talking on an iPhone, at no point are you going to go, "Hey, is that an iPhone in nineteen eighty one?" Yes, and like that—that that is a level of comedic genius because if you are ahead of the joke, it's it doesn't work, and. That's the problem with a lot of comedy is you're ahead of the joke and so the joke doesn't work. Like for that joke to work, he knows – he needs to know that you are not going to catch on to the fact that Michael Sarah is talking on an iPhone. Which also makes the show very much a fan-only proposition I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, very much so. You need to be bathing in the idea that this is a sequel like and a prequel. The two seasons, one is 10 years later and one is the first First day of camp. camp before and somehow Michael Showalter has gotten fatter and older like i don't know two months earlier um that's a that's a great joke on michael and michael have issues because he's kind of gotten big at that moment too 
And uh, Michael Ian Black's like yelling at him like, look at you. You look like a marshmallow that's expanding in the microwave. I look the same. I look the exact same. How can you look like this? And then I think like Michael Showalter's like, don't you think it's weird to look the same that you did? Like, um, I, I, I don't know if that's the exact joke, but the sentiment is. And it's it's hilarious, especially because Michael Showalter's like sad dog face is – the most amazing thing. So whenever he's being yelled at by Michael Ian Black in, in any in anything, especially Mike, it, it is just so great. And then Michael Showalter did get funnier as he got older because his face just got more hangdog. Like <laughs> yep. certain jokes just nail way harder. It matches his comedic style uh, than when he was like a weird skinny. Uh, and then ten years later, I almost feel ashamed to admit it. Like I, I was, I for some reason I wasn't as hyped for it. I think just because you know it's like oh you're doing it again yeah, for granted. Yeah, like, um, it's the difference between, like, Arrested Development Season 4 came out at, like, 3 a.m., and I stayed up till 3 a.m. to watch the first couple episodes. And, like, even regardless of, like, the Jeffrey Tambor and the New York Times stuff, like, the Season 5 stuff, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that came out. Maybe I'll get to it. And that was kind of the Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later. It's like, I watched, like, four episodes, and I kind of was into it. And then I just, like, got distracted and never watched the rest. And it's it, maybe it's really good, but um, for some reason it just didn't hit me in the same way that uh, First Day at Camp did. Uh, that sort of, we can't get away with this, right? Can we? That energy kind of dissipated a little bit, um, both in the audience and the performers. But it's still, it's like Children's Hospital. A bad episode of Children's Hospital still gives me more belly laughs than, like, 90 eight percent of television programs Mm -hmm. so like fuck you yes some of the jokes don't land but it's still giving me this like deep satisfying sort of thing every few minutes um but i just think i think michael showalter might i think david wayne might work better in a tv format ultimately um than a movie format where it all has to kind of come back around despite what hot american summer being one of the best comedy movies of all time Uh, it's something i was thinking about in in this conversation Part of what makes Children's Hospital and and Wet Hot American Summer so fun is that nothing's really connected. It's like when an episode ends, that's it. And there's a weird serialization to uh, First Day of Camp and 10 Years Later, like, and especially as they relate to each other, where like they're actually stringing this massive government conspiracy plot between them. Yeah, I remember that from the first episode. They were really going heavy on Reagan. Yeah, and like part part of what I love about Wet Hot American Summer is that it's 10 tons of story in a five-pound bag. And part of what makes it so hilarious is that these stories are getting one or two beats to let you know they're there. And you're just laughing at like, whoa, this this escalated quickly. Like the whole uh, – the whole Skylab thing where like they're actually building it up, but like you don't understand what's happening until like 10 minutes before it actually like starts to climax. Yeah. And I always forget how like for some reason when I think back on it, I think the Skylab stuff is really stretched throughout. But you're right. It's like it's like in the last 20 minutes in the movie that they're like, oh, shit, Skylab's crashing. Can we do this? Like it, it really isn't. It's just uh, out of yeah, like you sort of thing. Y- you get a lot of David Hyde Pierce going like not yet or like like where he like looks at the sky and like clearly like something is on his mind like something up there but like it doesn't get a name until 
like right before they hit the gas on it. Yeah. Yes, it, it is a third act way to wrap up the movie in the most absurd way possible. Mm-hmm. The surreality yeah. of it really like lands when you're like, well, they're trying to deflect a falling satellite. <laughs> and then when it finally lands, it's just sort of like this big fucking septic tank <laughs> yeah. that says Skylab on the side. <laughs> and it doesn't even kick up dust. Yeah, it's just like, sort of like just, a thump. It, it bounces off the ground and lands in Intact without disturbing. Like if that would have fallen on someone, they would have had a head headache, which I think is <laughs> yes. a pretty great joke. The, just like the the random number generator, where like it's there's like they use the kids twenty sided die. Yeah, how will we ever find something that'll 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 generate number random numbers between one and twenty? That would take some sort of supercomputer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the jokes where it's like it's 1981. It's always it's always really good. Uh, speaking of using something to wrap it up, though, uh, mm-hmm. not your dick. Uh, that's kind of what it sounded like to wrap it up, <laughs> um, so you don't get crab. Stay new to your pet place, gentlemen. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, hey, Aaron. yeah what's hey, up? If you're going to town, can you get me some lube for my pussy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. No problem. Uh, (laughs) I mean, we could have. It's so funny that we could have spent this entire podcast just doing lines from this movie. Um, And we didn't. Last week, we talked about a not funny movie about a sad old drunk who murdered people. And I, I would say that potentially we didn't meet the material um, with the same level of terror, Peter. And then of course, like we do a, like a movie that is just about gags and spend the entire time doing like an impassioned, um, not even a defense, but just an impassioned, like this is on the level of the Magna Carta. This is the state of American comedy. This is the origin yeah. of what we may consider uh, contemporary millennial humor with David Wayne's uh, <laughs> tangents into time, space, relativity, and the uh, nature of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Now, we're, we're... Was, that, was that civilized? No. Was it fun? Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's it's. I I don't know. Like I, we don't do much comedies on the show because I think Peter and I have always been like. Sometimes they're really tough to talk about because you either do mm-hmm. one of two things: you either explain all the jokes, and everyone goes, "That's dumb." I don't want to hear people explain jokes. Or here's a part that made me laugh, and it turns into the Chris Farley show. Like, hey, Peter, you remember you remember when they said this? That was great. Uh, so I think sometimes <laughs> comedies are really. It's, they're really tough to discuss from that reason because I agree. you either get you either get too academic, but I think this one kind of deserves it, and hopefully it was at least enjoyable to listen because there's a lot of always hyperbole whenever you're like this changed the course of American comedy or whatever it is, but if not this movie specifically, like David Wayne's sensibility did, and I think you could show this movie to someone now. And maybe they won't fall in love with it, but they would, like, get it because they've seen this a million times, as you said, Peter. And in 2001, like, we were all the audience at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in 1955 in Hill Valley High School where we were just – we just were not ready for this shit yet, but our kids—they're gonna they, love it. They were, also, they were was, was this pre or post nine eleven? Uh, it was during. It, 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 it came out in July before nine eleven. <laughs> it okay. came out between when the first and the second tower fell. 
Wow. It, it literally it literally it literally did come out before 9/11 and then after 9/11 because it, it got an initial release, made no money, oh. and then it got picked up by a distributor for $100,000, I think. For a 30-city deal, and then it didn't really make that much money after that. It was more of a movie that, like, was something that people could use as a calling card than anything other than that. Like, the movie itself made very little money. Paul Rudd is on the record as saying he's not sure if he got paid for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, when I was saying all the people I thought was funny in this movie, I forgot about Paul Rudd. He just seems like, uh, of course, Paul Rudd. But, yeah, Paul Rudd was someone who I was like, oh, Paul Rudd's funny. And I think Elizabeth Banks, like, holds her own with him. Oh, yeah. Well, she's great, too. Like, once she realizes, like, who he is, she, like, also is like, oh, no thank you anymore. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a there, there's a beautiful there's a beautiful sort of dynamic between the two. And he's like, you taste like burger. I don't like you anymore. Like, and that's not just like disregarding her as a character. The character kind of comes back around. Like, I, I love that about this movie. <laughs> she's still at the camp. <laughs> I was just going to say, I love that expression on her face when Paul Rudd, like, is going to deal with the kid who saw him, like, neglect the other camper while they were drowning, and she's just, like, shooting daggers at the kid. Yes. And Paul Rudd eventually is just disposing of kids because, like, (laughs) eventually his negligence hits a wall where he's like, I need to get rid of these kids to make sure I can continue being negligent. (laughs) So good. And it's the same every time where, like, he just drives them out a little past where the camp is, just throws them into an embankment. (laughs) Yes, it's so fucking good, dude. I love it. So we can do this all day. We can do this all day. We can. Just watch fucking White Hot American Summer. We've already discussed how it... It, it, it truly has changed comedy history. It changed how jokes were presented to the public. And like I said, we know that we know that there's direct influences, but like there's also indirect influences because this movie just spread out and influenced how comedy was everywhere. And I think that like, yeah, like we can sit here and quote the movie at each other all day and we'll giggle about it because it's like a very fucking funny movie and it's a funny movie even to relate back to each other. But like, the movie is the movie. It's it's a singular object of, of comedy brilliance that like needs to be shared. It needs to be passed on to future generations because it still works. It's not just a historical object. It still works. Mm-hmm. One last thing <laughs> that I love when he <laughs> at the end of the movie, when everybody's leaving for camp, leaving camp. And he comes in, he says, I got the Hopkins Award. And it's <laughs> it's some like cheap, like track trophy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and he just hands it to somebody off screen. Yeah, that's again just like, oh, do you want to make a good award? No, nah, it doesn't matter. That's not the joke. Like, so it somehow <laughs> adds to it. Um, but thank you so much for coming on again, Anthony. This uh, just oh, like th- Thanks for having last. me. Uh, what do you have to promote? Mm-hmm. Uh, just my, my, my Instagram with my cartoons, uh, P-I-Z-Z-O underscore cartoons uh at instagram and then my photography one at uh at a-t-p-i-z-z-o that's all that i have that's out there right now dun 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 for now that's not right okay i'll do that again hold on dun 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 (laughs) the end question mark and question mark yes uh no we'll put those links in your show notes and uh, again i i feel like i uh almost stopped saying it but you're you're 
your drawings are amazing and i felt weird uh commenting on them every single day but they are they're so uh they're like a little fun surprise i get to see every day in my news feed so i just I just always like either. them because i i thrive on likes okay great no i'm gonna love them <laughs> and then yeah and then uh, no, get rid of the love after he doesn't don't give him the love emoji oh no so what i was gonna do is I'd do the love emoji and then like wait an hour <laughs> then take it down and put the like emoji so he gets another notification and then a little bit later do the wow emoji and then a little bit later do the sad one because i've ran out of emojis and then eventually do the angry one because he won't recognize you <laughs> why won't you give me more emojis <laughs> and, and yeah so thanks again so much anthony we love having thank you, you thank you for having me forward to to many future guest appearances peter we're moving on to a new month. It's the month that you, the listener, that goes onto our Facebook page and votes in polls specifically voted for. And that is Joe Dante Summer. So next week we are doing Matinee with Joey Lee, followed by The Burbs with the Koski Brothers, then Rock and Roll High School. And then we are doing Gremlins 2, wrapping it up with Hayden. By the way, and I apologize, Hayden, if we, we – I forgot to ask your pronunciation before we recorded this. But thankfully, you're the last one of the month. So we'll get it right in the next three episodes and we'll make up for it that way. And then we'll have a surprise bonus for the last uh, Joe Dante-related bonus for the last episode that month as well. Another month, another summer camp over. I think we've learned a lot of lessons. I'll write to you guys like... every day. <laughs> Please do. And I feel like our audience is like giving the Marguerite speech to us at the end of this one where it's like, hey, just to let you know, like, I want to listen to podcasts. It's not that I don't want to listen to podcasts. I just want to listen to funnier podcasts and more informative podcasts. And maybe someday I'll settle down. And I'll listen to this on a regular basis. It's kind of like just a thing I go through. But right now, I, I just need to be myself and that's listen to specifically podcasts that are not you well yeah that seems pretty reasonable aaron i I think maybe maybe we should yeah that sounds that sounds good yeah good night okay great (laughs) good night Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website wltwpodcast.com leave us a comment tell us we're doing a good job only tell us we're doing a good job we're so sensitive we're sensitive boys we're soft boys and uh if you'd like to help other people if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine fine program that we produce at no cost 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.